If you would like to borrow a Bible, will you just raise your hand? The ushers will bring you a Bible. Go ahead and keep your hands up, and if you want to borrow one, just leave it in the pew when you're done. We've been experiencing a lot of weather recently in our neck of the woods, but as well as across the country, and I know many of you are from different parts of the country that have been affected by the tornadoes, and perhaps people in your family or your towns, and so I'd like to pray right now for those who are going through this time. So just bow your heads and pray for a moment, please. Father, we know that you are sovereign over the weather. You control all the weather. You are our Lord, and we rest in your sovereignty. And we ask that you would bring uh, comfort and peace and um, just a a sense of your presence with our uh, people who are suffering right now, to bring your compassion, bring your mercy. And I ask that you would bring people to know that uh, you work all things together for good for those who are believers, who are following you. Maybe you'll draw others to yourself. But I just ask the church would step up, show us where we should step up, and the church uh, as a whole should step up uh, to, to bring recovery during this time, both physically and spiritually. So we thank you for hearing our prayer. In Christ's name, amen. As I told you last week, I want to increase your faith uh, so that you can magnify Christ. And I told you this morning uh, I would be bringing uh, up the, the Tweetmeyer family uh, to encourage you in your faith. We'll do that in a moment, but I want to set the context of the interview in the Word of God. And so we're going to be looking at Deuteronomy 24. I know we've been going through Matthew. We go through the book of Matthew, but occasionally we can take breaks. It's okay. It's not sin, okay? So Deuteronomy 24, turn there, please. I know that you guys read Deuteronomy all the time. Uh, It's a book, uh, instructions for God's people to care for the most vulnerable. The section we're looking at today is the instruction for God's people to care for the most vulnerable, oppressed, and helpless in society, specifically the sojourner. Sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow. And what we're going to see is the motivation for the Israelites to care for these people is that they once were the vulnerable. They once were the oppressed. They once were the helpless as they were slaves in Egypt. And since they've been redeemed, now they can move toward others with a redeeming love. And let's kind of just put it in the Christian terms. It's the gospel that motivates compassion. It's the gospel that motivates compassion. Uh, We were in a spiritually vulnerable state of dead in our sin as slaves to sin. And Jesus moved toward us in our afflicted state and awakened us and brought us to faith in Christ. And now we move toward others both spiritually and physically. So it's the gospel that motivates compassion. Well, let's stand and read Deuteronomy 24, starting at verse 17. I'll read it to you starting at verse 17. You should not pervert the justice due to the sojourner or to the fatherless or take widow's garment and pledge. But you shall remember that you were a slave in Egypt and the Lord your God redeemed you from there. Therefore, I command you to do this. When you reap your harvest in your field and forget a sheaf in the field, you should not go back to get it. It shall be for the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow. The Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. When you beat your olive trees, you shall not go over them again. It shall be for the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow. When you gather the grapes of your vineyard, you shall not strip it afterwards. It shall be for the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. Therefore, I command you to do this. You may be seated. 
When you think of these concepts of orphans or uh, fatherless, sojourner, widow, you, you tend to think of uh, posters like the starving child on a poster. You like go and you check out at the grocery store and you look at the picture. You're like, okay, I feel kind of bad right now. So I'm going to throw my leftover change into this weird plastic box. And that's what we deal with. There's some poster child. It's like disconnected from us. So what I want to do with this text today is try to make it a little bit more personal for you because that's what I think God is actually trying to do as well. So let's start out by making it personal for you. So let's say that you have a mom, most of you, your mother is living, but let's say your mom is older, uh, she's elderly, she is in a nursing home, and while she is in that nursing home, occasionally she will lie in her own waist for a couple of hours until someone comes and changes her. But one night, someone comes to change her and take her to the bathroom, and she's moving a little too slow. And so as she is walking, the caretaker is like kneeing her in the thigh, okay? And then she's got these bruises all over her thigh, puts her back in her bed. While she's sleeping at night, certain people come in and steal her stuff. I've spent years in the nursing home. This is reality. So the question is, if your mom is in such a condition, what would you do for your mom? Let's say that you have a child, and I I don't know why, but for some reason, your child is in an orphanage far, far away. Not all orphanages are like this, but some are. Your child is in a certain orphanage where they don't get to eat much, and so their stomach is hurting. They go to bed hungry every night. No one's there to read to them. No one is there to tuck them in uh, to sleep, and they got head lice. They're scratching. They got some rashes going on, and their caretakers abuse them emotionally, physically, and sometimes sexually. Reality, Okay, not all orphanages, but it's out there. The question is, what do you do for your child? Okay, one more. Your family, you, you're, you live in another country, you send your family to America. It happens all the time. You send your family to America, you stay back in the other country because your immigration papers are not cleared yet. Your family shows up into Chicago, they do not speak English, they do not know where to go, they don't have any money, they're very vulnerable, they're taken advantage of. Someone's trying to rip them off. Someone's trying to cheat them. Your family has arrived as immigrants in Chicago. What would you do for your family? It's interesting when we read the Bible. We're like, oh, these are just some fatherless, uh, these are a sojourner and widow. And it's like these people we don't even know. But uh, what I think we're supposed to do is make more of an emotional connection because that's what God does in his word. Do you notice what he says? He says it over and over again. Remember... This used to be you. You used to be slaves in Egypt. You used to be vulnerable, used to be oppressed, and used to be helpless. How dare you ever not make the connection with the vulnerable? How dare you never to make a connection with the oppressed and the helpless? Don't don't ever do that. And for those of us who have been saved through Jesus Christ, we absolutely make the connection that now we are redeemed. Out of this redeemed state, we move toward others with a redeeming love. So look briefly at the passage real quick, all right? This is good stuff. 17 and 18. It says, you shall not pervert the justice due to the sojourner, to the fatherless, or take a widow's garment and pledge but you shall remember that you were a slave in Egypt, and the Lord your God redeemed you from there. Therefore, I command you to do this. Okay, so the concept is those who are powerful, those who have money, tend to oppress the helpless. 
happened in Israel's history and when they were in Egypt, and it happens today. You have immigrants being second-class citizens in many countries. You have the elderly being ripped off and orphans in the street. And orphans in the street often are accused of a variety of crimes. But so the Israelites realize their oppressed state, and because they know that they have been oppressed by Pharaoh, that they are to constantly have that in their mind and never pervert justice. In fact, Christians are not only never to pervert justice, but we are to actually work for justice. We are to step up and make decisions for justice. And we're going to talk a little bit about that when we have the tweet myers up here in a moment. But not only are we to work for justice, but look at the second part. We're not going to read it all, but look at the second part of making provision for the helpless. They're to leave some of the, the stuff in the fields, the, the grains in the field, uh, the olives behind, uh, the grapes. They're to make provision for the sojourner, fatherless, and, and widow. And, and you remember the book of uh, Ruth? Wasn't that a fun book when we studied that about a year ago? Uh, remember uh, Boaz, this kind of landowner? He has, he's a businessman, and the concept is when you go out and you're supposed to leave extra sheaves of grain, uh, sheaves behind, so people can, the poor can pick it up, and they can have this extra provision, and Ruth goes out, and she gets provision along with the other, the other gleaners. But what's interesting about this is that God makes a connection about our care of the poor and his provision for us. Now, I'm not preaching a health and wealth gospel here, all right? But we're talking about God's care of the poor, his provision of us. Look at verse 19. He says at the very end, that you, that the Lord your God, at the very end of 19, that the Lord your God may bless you and all the work of your hands. So as you move toward the poor, the vulnerable, and the oppressed with your money, with your goods, you will see that the Lord will continue to bless your works of the hand. Somehow there's a connection there. I can't explain it all, but there is a connection in the way we care for others and how the Lord continues to care and make provision for us. A couple weeks ago I was with a group of businessmen and women, and these businessmen and women were trying to discern how they can use their businesses to help the poor around the world in a variety of ways. And they had a specific business. It wasn't for the poor. It wasn't for the vulnerable. But they were wondering, what can we do with our proceeds to help the poor and the vulnerable? And last week in our ethos community, we're trying to, we were trying to you know, talk about how businessmen and women within the church are vital, are crucial. It's a calling. We don't want to squelch it. We want to encourage it. But the question is, what are you doing with your money? Are you using it for kingdom purposes? And it seems like when we move out and use our money for kingdom purposes, the Lord is going to bless us. And as he blesses us, we continue to use the money for kingdom purposes. But the motivation must be firmly rooted in the gospel. Let's finish up verse 22. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. Therefore, I command you to do this. Oh, I like this. So do all these things because you were a slave. Remember that. Now live like this. So when we care for people, we don't show up and say, okay, I am here to save the day. It's lucky you got me. I'm here to rescue you. I'm this, this great rescuer. That is not the concept at all. We are so broken and vulnerable and hopeless and helpless apart from Christ. He came to our rescue by being crucified upon the cross and buried. And he rose again to save us from our sins through faith. And he now reigns at the right hand of the Father. And so we are those who have been rescued, who are continually in need of salvation help from our Father through Christ. And so we move out with that compassion because we remember where we have come from. So it's not like, hey, look at me, I'm some great rescuer. 
As I look at our Father through Christ, he is a great rescuer. And so that's a gospel motivation that we must continually keep in our face every single day. And what's so encouraging about this church is that you do. I don't feel like I'm telling you anything new. It's not like you're going to show up on this day and go, this is all new to me. I have no idea about the gospel, no idea about motivation. You guys, you know this. You're living this. I'm so encouraged by our church. You guys care for the sojourner. You care for immigrants. We have ethos communities in our church who are caring for those who are just arriving to Chicago. In fact, there are women in our church have been uh, quilting with our Congolese sisters. I don't know if there's been any men in that group, probably not. But, but our, our Congolese sisters have been quilting with us, making these for fresh immigrants just, just coming to Chicago. And I know there, there are people in here working with something we, we call Senior Connections, where we're connecting specific people with senior citizens and just to hang out with them, to love them. Some of you have actually been with your seniors up until their death and gone to their funerals. That is, that is like you're with them that whole time. In fact, I was at a wedding last week, and Rich and Make a King, are they even here? Are you guys even here? I, I don't know if you're here. Oh, you are here. You need to go on your honeymoon, all right? No, I know you're waiting another week. All right, I'm just messing with you. But Rich and, Rich, Rich and Mecca did their wedding last week, and Mecca had a senior that she was invested in came to her wedding. That is, that's just encouraging. I'm like, who are you? I mean, where are you? And like, Mecca, she's with me. I'm like, that is so cool. You guys are doing it. You're doing it. You're out there caring for the vulnerable, the oppressed, and the helpless. You're loving people that others are not loving. And for those of you caring for orphans, you just, you just, you're all in. You're going for it. And it doesn't just have to be these three categories of people. I know people in our church that are caring for those who are trafficked. There are those in our church that are caring for the homeless. It doesn't have to be certain categories. It could be wherever God is, is leading your heart to be compelled by the gospel to move out and love those who others aren't loving. So you, you, for those of you who are here this morning, and you may wonder, where do I start? Where should I start? Well, you just start with where you live. Who is around you that you can move out with? Compassion and love. And help those. I mean, with our ethos community, uh, on my street, there is a woman who who has a 29-year-old daughter who just had this brain aneurysm. Totally, totally crazy stuff has happened. And our ethos community has had the opportunity to move toward that family and love them. Uh, We didn't start a ministry. We didn't have to do anything. We just jumped right in and started caring for her. And I just want to encourage you in your own life, before you think big, remember we talked about this, before you think big, just look who's right in front of you. Move toward them with the gospel compassion, continually motivated by what Christ has done for you in his, in his cross and resurrection.